Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends. Hoping you're all fantastic today. So today's episode is a goodie. I'm chatting with the world's best drinks journalist, according to the World Food Media Awards, Natalie McLean. I mean, she's only gone and won herself four James Beard Foundation Journalism Awards. So we will be talking to her about her two wine books that are out on the market. You'll get to listen to incredible stories of what it's like to be down in the cellars of D. RC, Domaine della Romani Conti. And you'll get a whole load of tips from organising tastings with friends, some great cheese and wine pairings, and what you should be doing when in a wine shop to make the right decision. I have to say my favourite part is right at the end when Natalie pairs famous books with wines. So you must stay to the end to see what she picks and why. So grab a glass of wine and get ready to laugh along with us. Hello, Natalie, and thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad to be here with you, Janina. I'm doing my research. I kind of feel like you're Canadian wine royalty. What do you think of that title? (laughs) (laughs) Well, as long as it doesn't have any responsibility, I'd rather be like a rogue princess or something that doesn't really have to do all those formal duties. It's like, that's no fun. No, you (laughs) have a lot of responsibility. No, with all your wine knowledge comes a lot of responsibility. The crown is heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Put the crown down for a second, pick up a glass and let's continue. Yes, please. I want you to tell me a little of your story because you didn't start drinking at a young, young age or, you know, the dinner table with parents. This is your husband's doing, right? Yes, yes. Well, I like to say I started drinking when I met my husband and I I haven't found a reason to stop, but I'm from... Uh, Did he, he make is... you drink? He drove you to drink. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He is my ex, by the way, but that's a whole other oh, different story. Uh, can we fit uh, in another podcast? <laughs> yes. Get wine into the juicy, and... juicy bits. Absolutely. Wine and relationships. Okay, right. Exactly. So that husband. Moving on. Carrying on. Yes, moving on, moving on. So, uh, right. So we uh, attended graduate school together. We both did an mm. MBA. So it wasn't really till we got out of school and had some money to get fancy that we actually started drinking wine. I couldn't yeah. cook. He didn't like to, so we went out to restaurants a lot and started ordering wine. Like but um, I do remember the first trip we took. I wasn't a wine writer. I was in high tech, um, ah. high tech marketing, mm-hmm. and we went to Italy, and it was so beautiful. I mean, it was just uh, you know, I'm sh- sure as you know, Yanina. Um, I mean, it's a feast for the senses from, you know, that those slanting amber rays of the sun to the tall cypress trees, the terracotta buildings, and of course, the food and wine. It was just glorious and it was endless. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh, I want to live in this world. And so the only way I could take it back with me was pretty much through a bottle. Um, So we, you know, we took as many bottles as we could sneak away with clinking through customs going yep just got one bottle <laughs> anything to declare <laughs> no 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 definitely not 
Um, but but those bottles, you know, when we opened them back home, you know, even in our rainy apartment in Toronto, they did bring back the memories. And mm. um, we weren't quite at the Mediterranean, but I just love the experience. And it really, it, it, it turned me on to wine, literally, because I grew up in a Scottish family from the East Coast, Nova Scotia. So it was beer and whiskey. Wine wasn't part of the family table. So this yeah. was really my introduction to wine. And now, I love this title. I feel like I should steal this title. You have named yourself, which is probably better than wine royalty, so the crown's off, the chief of wine happiness. I mean, mm. fabulous. Now, Thank you. you well, I'm stealing it. So, um, <laughs> You have written incredible wine books that have got you awards. You are on television giving people advice, uh, running online wine courses. So... You're doing a whole load in the spectrum of delivering wine excitement and knowledge. So what, what is a typical day mm. for you? Does that exist? Yeah, well, probably like you, Yanina, I, you know, there is no typical day, but I can generalize. Um, I'm yes. good at that. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> all Chardonnays taste like this. No, but um, I usually get up. Uh, pretty early, like around mm -hmm. five in the morning. And yes, circadian um, rhythm. I am with yes, you on this. Yes, I'm an early riser. Then mm -hmm. again, I, I go to bed at nine, you know, when mm -hmm. everybody's just getting going. But anyway, the, I find my best brain is in the morning. Um, mm -hmm. So that's when I do writing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for magazine columns, uh, for my online food and wine pairing courses, I'm now working on a third book, a, a memoir. So my, I use okay. my brain in the morning. Um, and then afternoons are more for physical stuff like running mm -hmm. errands, um, working out to keep off the calories um, <laughs> because there's a natural dip in my energy. And I think for a lot of people that sort of mid to late afternoon dip um, but I come out of it around four or five, and that's when I do my tasting. So anywhere between, you know, 10 and sometimes up to 30 wines, I'll taste, enter reviews for the website. Um, those go on my mobile apps uh, that have the barcode scanner and the front label optical reader. Yes, yeah, very and small. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, that I try to keep up with the wines that I get. Um, the number of samples, I get no pity um, about that. Oh, it's such it's a hard job. No, it genuinely, sometimes it's really stressful when you realise as well you've committed to specific deadlines where things need to be written about or tasted and you're That's like, true. oh my God, I... And also, I, I, from my perspective, I actually, unless I don't like the bottle, I really want to drink the wine. Some winemaker has put his heart and soul into that bottle. And for me just yes. to, when I get given a whole bottle, to taste yeah. a sample and then be like, oh, I've got 10 bottles open and oh, well, I'll just pour it down the sink. I'm like, no, I need to coordinate my timings to make sure I drink those bottles and, and have them with food as well and, and really get the most out of each one. So then for me, yes, sob story. It's very stressful. <laughs> It is. People just don't know how much we suffer. Like our livers for for the people. But when my uh, my partner of ten years now, um, post divorce, when he first saw me pouring wine down the drain, he thought it was a wine crime. It's like, what are mm -hmm. you doing? What are you mm -hmm. doing? And mm -hmm. um, so at first, you know, uh, he he made me cork them all, and he would distribute them to friends. But subsequently, yes. I now have a team of people who review on my website. So I just take the ounce or two recork for them and they come pick him up he's very sad that things have turned out that way but 
It's like, you know what? You've got a lot of benefits. Let's not be too mopey here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There's enough wine around. There's yeah, exactly. Around. Exactly. Oh. We live in a castle of wine. So anyway. <laughs> no. I've already mentioned, I touched on the point that you are on TV. So you're on CTV, which for it, the social it's called, right? So for many of us in, in the UK who are listening to this podcast, it's basically, it's not just any daytime television show. It's like the largest daytime That's television right. show accounts. You, you know, just go for the best. So you're on there <laughs> and the CTV news and on morning shows, educating the world. So, I mean, this has got to be so much fun. Is this the peak or is this just one of the things you enjoy doing? Well, yes, I'm past peak. I'm on the decline now, but you've caught me oh. before I've slid into the, the gutter. Um, <laughs> no, I just, uh, the, the social, um, that was fun. Like I've been doing, I've been on that show now for, well, since 2013. So that's seven, eight years. The social is modeled after um, The View, if anybody's mm-hmm. familiar with the show The okay. View uh, in the States. And that they have four celebrity hosts who talk about like a variety of issues, often quite controversial. They all have guests and so on. And it's filmed before a live studio audience. And it's live aired out to 3.6 million viewers across the country. So there's no taping. There's no editing. Uh, you're live. So, um, and, and has the- uh, <laughs> something gone wrong ever? Oh, well, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, what happens with the the social? They 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 take it. They're more integrated with social media than the view. So they will have, um, or they used to have, live Twitter comments and other comments from social media okay. on the screen, reacting mm. to whatever was going on on the show. And so I just cold called the editor, pitched her on pairing wine with fast food. And she she loved that idea for the first segment. And so I thought, well, you know. Um, this could go really well, or or I could get shamed on national television because there had been more than a few people on social media, t- trolls and whatnot, who had told me that that was a ridiculous topic to write about because I had written about it before. Um, however, I, I love wine and food pairing. It's the, the thing I focus on in my wine and food mm. online pairing courses because I think it makes wine more accessible. Anyway, so we got in, uh, you know... We're on the set. It's live. You know, there's about a dozen cameras going in and out, and there's blinding lights, and there's hosts mm-hmm. on either side. And it's like, I'm I could melt right now into a puddle of neuroses, or I can forget about all that, focus on the audience, and try to give them a good time. So, you know, it it did go well. Thank God they were throwing me questions. You know, pizza, hamburgers, what goes with all of this? And we're having fun. And you know, I just as we walked off the stage in the set, I was like. I just let out, like I felt like a deflated balloon, but in a good way. Uh, it was yeah, just yeah, yeah. such a relief. Uh-huh. But, you know, there have been other times when things have gone wrong, like on CTV News, which is also live. Um, I was trying to sh- saber champagne. So, you know, why not oh, again no. put yourself in a really stressful situation? Uh-huh. And it, we had to go to break. And um, the end part was me trying to saber this thing. And I had already tried it twice and it trying. wasn't working. And the host was saying, well, we believe you. We believe you. It can work. And it's like, oh, no. And 
it was literally third time was a charm. Um, the cork I... went flying. I nearly took out the weatherman. The wine went <laughs> everywhere. It was like everywhere. The host and I were sort of dancing and hugging in this spray. And, and then we just went to commercial. It was like, thank God. We're out. We're out. <laughs> well, I mean, the amount of videos of people trying to do sabrage. And do you know what? I know how to do it. I am aware. I know it's all about the seam. I know at 45 yeah. degree angle. I know that, of course, the bottle needs to be very cold. I know that it's better to go along that seam a few times and then when you yeah. kind of feel it you know and bash but you know what I've never done it I have never done no. it because you know why because I don't want to do it with my own champagne I don't <laughs> case sure. it you gotta get wrong. a cheap bottle <laughs> yeah I know I, I should I need to go and get some carver or you yeah. know so, something that has enough pressure inside I would say to people don't do it with Prosecco it would be too low you need the the full bar of pressure but yeah I should just do it and and have some fun with it but there's some I just I don't want to embarrass myself but yeah I should practice no it, it is nerve-wracking even when you're just trying it in the backyard um right? it's as, but on, on tv it's as live action as tv can mm -hmm. get with wine which is usually Mm -hmm. you know pretty calm but you know it, the, the studio lights were so hot and my hands were shaking I think yes, that's why it's... it was not working it was like oh no I did this in the backyard and it worked mm -hmm. but anyway it all happy ending <laughs> we like that good well yes. anyway I aspire I'm still I'm waiting for somebody to listen in the UK so we have in fact we have loose women which is oh. a bunch of women who are generally a whole mix of different types of celebrities and oh. they sit normally with coffee unless they've got some spirits in there but there's no wine but I can't maybe maybe I should yes. just be brave send them a Absolutely. message and be like do you know who I am <laughs> do you know what I can do for you exactly I can revolutionize your show well anyway have a look check out Loose Women it's basically it seems the view and the social but actually with without any of the wine so yeah, I like the name this. Loose Women sounds loose like they'd women. be a fun group of women actually it, it is it is very fun now <laughs> let's go to your book so your first book that you've written is Red White and Drunk All Over a wine soaked journey from grape to glass love the name thank you if, if people are going to read this book where are they going to be taken quite clearly to Italy to the spine, the mountains, the hills. Yes. I'm sure, right? Yes. Of, of Italy. But where where are they gonna go? What are, what are they gonna learn? Well, you know, I love the approach of um, the new journalists. So mm. Truman Capote, Joan Didion, uh, George Plimpton. Th what they did was they did day in the life of. They tried to immerse themselves in their subject rather than just reporting on the sidelines. So okay. George Plimpton wrote a football book, a book about football, but instead of interviewing all the players, he tried. He did play in the NFL for I don't know if it was a full season or not. But you just mm. dig down deeper and get those insights and feelings of what it's like to do the thing. So um, I worked as a uh, sommelier in a five diamond restaurant, fancy French restaurant. Um, made mistakes. Mistakes were made. Um, <laughs> and uh, but through that, um, you know, I, I learned and was able to write about what is good restaurant wine service? How do you decipher a restaurant list? So like my mother used to hide the peas and the mashed potatoes, sort of learning um, was more palatable than yeah. just straight up, here's 26 steps on, you know, what good restaurant wine service is. So I, I did a lot of that. I worked in a wine store, 
I helped um, Randall Graham, who is a great witty winemaker in California, Bonnie Dude, worked with him at the Harvest. Um, but I also did all sorts of other things. You know, I traveled to Burgundy and tasted Domaine Romani Conti, and that's not a brag oh. bit, e even though it sounds like it. Um, <laughs> I went down in the cellar with Aubert de Villain, who's the winemaker oh. owner there, and mm -hmm. he made me blind taste from, he, he said, turn around. He made he, you. He was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to taste know. your wine. Forced, and he said, <laughs> I, "He said, what if I left you down here?" I said, "Just leave a corkscrew; I'll be fine." Um, but uh, he had this wine library, and they were all Webby mm. bottles. And so he said, "Turn around." And I said, uh, "Okay." And so he pulled a bottle from the shelf I didn't know where, and he made me guess uh, which vintage as as we tasted. So, um, <laughs> so like I was trying to, you know, hmm, should I say, well, the rains in '46 definitely not that year. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but I, I kind of had a sense from the corner of my eye, not that I was peeking, but that he was going around the middle of the rack. And so um, when I turned around, I could see that was kind of the 1950s. So wow. I just made a stab in the middle, um, you know, I think it's the 50s. And he's looking really pleased, like, oh, I picked a good student. And uh, anyway, I, I actually narrowed it down, but only because of luck, not for any sort of skill. But... But my point to that and the other things that I've done, you know, when I did book readings for this book, they'd say, oh, my gosh, you got into, you know, Domain de Romani Conti. And, I, and as I explained to the group, I said, it wasn't me. It was you. It's my readers that I bring with me. That's how I gained entry to all of these places. I, I do not kid myself in terms of, oh, it's, it's me and whatever. And, yeah. you know, to your point not really royalty. I, I'm an elected <laughs> member of the wine people. They mm. voted me in or they voted with their confidence. And it's who I bring with me to these experiences that allow me that kind of entry. Yeah. Yeah. You're the chief of wine happiness. That is, that's the correct title. Yes. <laughs> yes. My, I, you can tell from my face. I'm just like, oh, just the thought of being, can you imagine being locked down yes. in the cellars of Domaine the Romani Conti like oh no what are we going to do whilst we wait <laughs> uh, it's a perfect way to go and you'd be per perfectly preserved you'd be pickled actually <laughs> by the time they got the door open it's like oh so sad but happy ending. that is amazing so people are going to go all the way around pick up some tips from your journeys and your discoveries and obviously hopefully kind of feel like they were there as well which is the closest thing most people will not get into the cellar of drc will they so that's true it's not an open winery it doesn't no. it doesn't have a tasting room as do wineries in you know england for, canada the u.s yeah, so for obvious reasons well then tell me about the second book so the second book unquenchable as we both are unquenchable a tipsy quest for the world's best bargain wine so i like this one because we've gone from drc which is only tasted <laughs> by by a few in the world these days what are people going to find in this book i probably already ruined the surprise by the title right no no it's it's all good uh like definitely yeah this is the antithesis of drc i just had enough of all these fine wines it was like <laughs> oh. Oh no, yeah. I can't drink cult wines anymore and fine no. wines that have been aged for 50 years. Ew, disgusting. I, I need to be one with the people again. Um, yes. So <laughs> this was what what the common theme is, is, again, between the two books, is I like to seek out really 
obsessive wine makers. That's actually not a hard thing to do, as you know. Mm-hmm. Wine drinkers, makers, etc. We're all kind of obsessive types, and so this. Um, so I went to Australia and you know Provence and all over the place looking for areas where the value of wine is just off the charts. And often I found it was if you go south. So what I mean by that is, you know, in Italy, Tuscany, Piedmont, they're very cachet brand name wine regions. But if you go south to Sicily, you you can get some incredible values. Same thing in France from Bordeaux, Burgundy, go down to the Languedoc. And Portugal. yeah, it's the, exactly. It's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. even in California, Napa and Sonoma are the brand names, but go down to you know Paso Robles, you're going to get mm-hmm. better value. And so, um, so I was looking for that sort of intersection between value and you know slightly unhinged uh, winemakers who would tell me things off script and without close PR guardians. So (laughs) (laughs) an eternal struggle, I can imagine these days. Exactly. So I I found them. Uh, You know, Wolf Blass in Australia is just, um, he is a a wild man with a lot of energy. Um, And, you know, he has (laughs) <laughs> he has this one wine. It's his labels are pretty much color coded. He was one of the first to do that and make wine mm. a lot more accessible and easy to buy. But he he has a red label. It's just called the Wolf Blast Red Label. He goes, oh, I call that the leg opener. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I don't think I need to probe that. Um, and so, but anyway, we just had a marvelous time and, you know, Charles back in Fairview, South Africa, um, Mm -hmm. he also makes the line goats do roam. Yes. Okay. I was like, why is that name sound familiar? Yep. Exactly. So that's a playoff Cote de Rhone. Cote de Rhone. And he had a big standoff with, um, the French wine authorities because they Mm -hmm. felt he was infringing on copyright. But what he did was he took a busload of his farm workers, vineyard workers, down to the French embassy. And he has all these goats on property. He made me milk a goat um, because he (laughs) thought that would go viral on social media, me kneeling, milking a goat. Anyway, he's full of fun. But he told me this story and he said it took a a busload of uh, farm workers down to the French embassy and he goes, I don't know how CNN found out about it, wink, wink, uh, but they showed up and as did a lot of other media and they sang freedom songs, but then they presented the ambassador of the French embassy with a vacuum sealed package of goat droppings. And um, mm-hmm. so he said, as the, you do, <laughs> the French authorities dropped the lawsuits. He goes, but he said to me, I'd appreciate anything you could do to stir up that controversy again. It was great PR. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, no PR is worse than bad PR, as they say, (laughs) or whatever that saying is. Exactly. Have you met Charles Smith from Washington? I have not. I've heard lots of things about him. Is he in Washington? Yeah. And you would you would want him for another book like he Great. his hair is big and crazy and big and he you know like uh, sideshow bob kind of hair from the simpsons mm-hmm. and he is literally wild apart from the fact it almost his wines the the voluptuousness of his wines the roundedness the power it's almost the explosion of fruit it oh, wow. sums him up but i'll always remember i won't name the place but <laughs> he came to a launch of one of his wines we're in this restaurant and all of a sudden we're talking and he's oh, no, 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 and he, uh, he goes to run off and he goes and hides behind a really long curtain really? <laughs> by some windows he's behind this curtain 
<laughs> and I follow him and I'm like, why are you behind this curtain? And he's like the owner of this specific restaurant. To give you an idea, it's a very cool, funky kind of restaurant. Is walking in and he's like, the last time I was with him, I didn't wake up for three days and I leave it there and let people use their imagination what the hell they got up to um, well I don't know wine must have been exa- involved for sure absolutely for sure so I, I don't know how much he was exaggerating but he's definitely a little cray cray and but, but energetic <laughs> and interesting and just as you were saying going to Australia you know stories that you can have with him they'll stick with you forever absolutely you know so of these bargain wines it, have you got a specific region that you really lean towards or just a few actual specific wines that people mm. listening may want to go out and seek? Sure. Um, so I loved visiting Sicily. You know, anything okay. with a volcano is just magical. It's the power of the earth and mm-hmm. that any time you might die perhaps while you're <laughs> drinking. I don't know. <laughs> Nothing it like a little bit morbid. of danger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think life, death, eating, satiation, you know, sensory. Anyway, um, but I loved visiting Sicily. It's, again, a sun-drenched island in the south of Italy. And they have so many iconic dishes. I mean, pistachios are everywhere. Seafood is mm. fresh. And and just the wines, you know, I, I I'm not sure whether volcanic soil makes a huge difference or if it's just a matter of drainage but um there's something about those wines that is special and of the earth and powerful and uh yeah definitely i mean the wines are such great value i mean they just they're a fraction of the cost of other more northern italian wines i mean the 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 label that stands out is uh, cusimano Um, yeah okay yeah, and the grape is Nero Davola, the the black grape near Avola, I believe the town. Uh, but they're just these luscious, full-bodied, smooth reds. Um, they're gorgeous. So that would be one. Another would be, you know, closer to home. Um, well, actually, I'll save that for later. Um, the uh, Ontario cool. wines. Um, but yeah, the, no, the, the the Italian wines stand out. Of course, I loved Provence. Um, mm. I love rosé. I drink it year round. And um, just, again, it's those sensory memories. And I was fortunate um, to share a glass with Peter Mayle, or Mele, the uh, author of A Year in Provence. Okay. Um, and we sat down and had rosé because that's his absolute favorite. I visited him in his small little um, town, village. And, you know, we're sitting out in the sun on a bistro deck. And it's like, oh, this is just, I want to stay. And I guess it's, it's the associations. I mean, the wine itself, yes. I don't know, wouldn't score 97, but the, the, the experience sure would. So do you think that being down in Provence may be one of your favorite places to have visited? Or have you got a, diff- have you got a specific winery that sticks in your head that's just brought, that's a 97 out of 100? <laughs> oh, winery. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I'm trying to think because my mind goes to Ontario again. Uh, because some yeah. of my most favorite experiences are here. So do ask me about that again. But, you know, visiting the wineries in Italy was wonderful. I mean, Tomasi mm. and... Oh, uh, so you love being in Veneto. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
Barbie de Fattoria. Okay. Oh, we, we were talking about all over the place. But yeah, Piemonte, it's one of, for me, being in La Mora in the Barolo region, up on the hill, looking down because yes. of the, the amount of vineyards roll. It's it's special and, and certainly as well in Tuscany. Mm. It's so funny. I remember going from Florence to like, just down into the middle of Chianti and somewhere which probably a few kilometers like takes an hour because you don't go in a straight line you like no around and around and around a hill and up and down and again all those olive groves and the cypress trees and little yeah. castles on top of every town you know it is it's special isn't it yeah. It is. And, and it does take a long time, especially when you get lost and you have a <laughs> German bus driver on a one way road who is swearing in German at the Italian drivers honking, coming straight at us and trying to back up a busload of people down a tall hill. It was like, oh, that's do. fun. We, we need a drink. <laughs> but definitely a memory. Yes. Yeah, exactly. If they've forgotten the wine on board, then it's not so fun. Oh, dear. Okay, well, anyway, conclusion for everybody. Do you know what? One Italy, for sure, of all the places I've been to actually in the world, is like, I swear, every region is just going to blow your mind. But you'll be fine. Most places where wine grows, there's some beautiful view behind it, isn't there? There is. I'm so glad, uh, Yanina, we don't write about plumbing parts or something. We'd be... <laughs> touring dank wet factories that don't smell so good we, we're so privileged to go to the most beautiful places on earth this is so what we do. true talking of beauty then what has been the highlight the most beautiful moment of your wine career so far because obviously i've got a whole long list of all the awards you've won and all i'm wondering if that's going to be oh obviously after your your son's birth of course that's the highlight but we're talking wine of course <laughs> right. Well, yes, my my mind actually didn't go to my son's birth. How not did, a okay. highlight. <laughs> we'll, edit, we'll edit that bit out. No, uh, no, no, no. It's all right. Uh, perhaps my first glass of wine after he was born. That was pretty special. I um, because I had been totally off of it, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, just so many memories come back to me, uh, not because the wine was iconic, but, but because of who I was with, like the, the friends, the family, you know, just sharing a wine, a quiet moment. Um, I know that's not that sort of peak experience. I mean, I did feel like th there were some special moments, like being in New York for the James Beard Awards was pretty amazing. Um, because they're, for here, they're kind of sort of food and wine Oscars. But because I had entered based on an article I posted on my own website. And I remember after I I won, um, Jeffrey Steingarten, who's the, I don't know if he's still writing, but he was the food columnist for Vogue magazine in New York. Mm -hmm. He came up to me and said, who the hell are you and where are you from? Oh, all right. <laughs> he, he was a great, he's, he's very funny in a grouchy yeah. way. <laughs> um, <laughs> he he owns his grumpiness. He does. He's very okay. funny. Um, but just New York's magical, too. I love New York for the restaurants and for the fast pace. And it's like, I always feel like a country mouse in New York. <laughs> but um, but I love being there because it's like, oh, look at those tall buildings. And wow, mm. look at all these people. Anyway. <laughs> it's all about just drinking with the right people. Exactly. Now, talking about people. They can go to your website. Actually, you do, you have quite a lot of free online courses. You have the other courses. They can take things more seriously. But a lot of these courses, they're all about people building confidence in choosing wines by themselves, whether it be in a restaurant, whether it be in a wine shop. So 
Have you got a tip or two that you can bring to this podcast right now for somebody who's in a wine shop? How can they narrow down their choice? Sure. I mean, there's a few strategies. Um, when I worked in a wine shop, that's exactly what I was looking for. How do you, you know, as a consumer, um, not get overwhelmed with this wall of bottles? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think wine, as you know, uh, Yanina, it's unlike any other consumer product category. I mean, it just, you can try and address, you can read the first chapter of a book, but generally you cannot taste the wine before you buy it, at least not legally. So... <laughs> Um, all you've got is a fluffy squirrel or a castle in the middle distance on the label to go on. And that's, you know, 80% of people buy wine based on the label. So what can you do to narrow your odds um, or increase your odds, I should say? So the go south thing is always good for value um, in terms of the regions. Um, but I also would suggest talking to the store staff. Usually they're pretty passionate retail store staff in a wine store. And asking them something like, you know, um, I generally like a full-bodied Cabernet. And if you know the label or the the wine name you've had before, can you recommend something similar? You know, so maybe they'll take you over to an Argentine Malbec instead. So it's kind of like the Amazon book buying algorithm. If you like this book, maybe you'll like that book. Um, That's one way to, I think, can help. Another thing you can do is buy a case of wine to sort of de-risk the situation. Um, And what I mean by that is a lot of people go into a liquor store looking for the one perfect bottle to buy. Mm. And instead of that, why not, again, tap into the store staff, or if you're too shy, download an app like mine um, and say, okay, like I generally like full-bodied reds in this price range. Go for a variety and then experiment and say, okay, well, we'll try this one. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. You know, and so maybe you'll find two or three new favorites out of a case of 12, but I think it's worth trying. Do you know, there is all, there's so many grapes in the world, isn't there? And for the typical oh, consumer, they're like, yeah. okay, I know my Cab Sab, my Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay, so I'll stick with that. And you just think, what about the Grunewald leaners of the world? You say Sicily, yes. the Nerolo Mascalesis, you know, all these kind of grape varieties that people are like, what the hell? Uh, and yeah. they're, they're wonderful aren't they? So, and you get that when you get these discovery boxes, especially if you get them from a passionate independent wine retailer where they want to bring you these random goodies that you may have never heard of before. Yeah, absolutely. So if people are tasting wine, they've got their discovery box and now they're tasting a glass of Albarino, whatever it is. Have you got a tip for them in terms of enhancing their tasting skills or how they would maybe identify that wine blind compared to a Mm. Sauvignon Blanc, who knows? Sure. I think um, that consumers or those who take courses from me think, oh, you just, you know, you, you have magical tasting abilities to describe each wine as it is. But the most powerful thing anyone can do, and you obviously don't have to be a professional to do this is taste wine side by side and the differences will leap out at you so most consumers have a glass of wine at a time but if you want to learn about wine taste a flight of wines or like four or five or however many um side by side like get a a, you know a flight of all different new zealand sauvignon blanc or take Sauvignon Blanc from different countries, New Zealand mm-hmm. and the Loire and Canada and so on. And you'll be amazed at how much you'll pick up 
just because you're going side by side and going back and forth among them. And that's what I do in my courses is, and then people think, oh my gosh, I really can see the difference. I, I really do see that I'm getting more, you know, herbal notes there. And this is one's more floral because they're up against each other. And I think that's one of the best things you can do. And I know that sometimes I think, well, how am I going to open four or five bottles? But there are devices that can preserve wine these days. On my podcast, you showed the Coravin, which yeah. is an excellent device. There's also like the Repour, the thing you can put in just a little cap that will absorb all the oxygen out of a bottle or get together friends do a potluck <laughs> yeah. everybody brings a bottle and then you all taste together so that you can taste a variety of wines or take my course <laughs> or take your course anyway. <laughs> your course looks fantastic and i think actually that is really interesting like i was thinking about you know what would you recommend for somebody who was planning maybe a wine tasting at home but i think you've hit the nail on the head doing these kind of flights and funny enough literally what day are we today so on sunday I am doing a little blind tasting for my mum. So she oh, loves great. two great varieties. One, she loves, surprise, surprise, Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. She loves mm. the aromatics and the concentration and all that kind of passion fruit and all this intense, pungent, exotic fruits and grassy notes. Now, when we last spoke, I mentioned Bacchus, the grape variety from England. And right. it is, if you, the closest thing to it could well be Marlborough, uh, New Zealand, Sauvignon Blanc. Hmm. And so what I've decided to do, because she loves the two, is I've bought two bottles of Bacchus and I've bought two bottles of, ah, I lie, I changed. I bought one Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough and then I bought a Terrain Sauvignon Blanc. So we talked about very good value wines. For anyone who doesn't know, Terrain is a, quite a large region, but it's in the Loire Valley, slightly uh, west from Sancerre and Puy-Formé, the places where they make the, the super premium Sauvignon Blancs. But terrain itself tends to be the most exotic and pungent and aromatic of all the Sauvignon Blancs in the Loire Valley. So sometimes it can get mixed up in a blind tasting with Marlborough, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. So to play around with it all, I want them to guess which two are Bacchus, which one is the Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc and which one is the French Sauvignon Blanc? And of course, ideally be able to see they're all different, but at the same time, actually realize that there are quite a few similarities. So it kind of brings them together because I think that's quite fun as well and confusing. Oh, that's but brilliant. Hey, Great you know, idea. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, so there we go, everyone. Either get a flight of one grape variety all around the world. Find two varieties that have maybe similarities like Chardonnay and Chenin Blanc could be yes. another idea. one. Both with amazing acidity and both can take a lot of oak, but also be without oak. And for me, I'm always looking for a bit of quince or a bit of beeswax or honey note with the Chenin to try mm. and differentiate it but I still I muck Lovely. it up all the time I'm terrible at blind tasting what a great <laughs> idea oh but those are great ideas to set them up you know you learn a lot absolutely well there you go everyone now if we are tasting from wine glasses I love Salto obviously here it costs 40 pound a glass it's not like you can buy too many of them and of course it's tragic when you smash them um mm. do you have a favorite wine glass Salto 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'd like to have a range, but you know, I, I do love them. I, I wish I were on commission. I'm not, but um, you know, I've got the uh, the the universal here, and then the what I call the the big ass glass for Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. But I just love them because they're so light and just so I don't know. There's something about them. What? Why do you think so many of us? love these glasses as opposed to I mean there's many good brands Riedel, Spiegelau and well, so I, on. I also have and I talk a lot uh, with people about I've got Gabrielle Glass which is the hand-blown golden edition I've got that and I, I oh. really like that as well. Okay. I think Zalto it just it's so light so mm. the feel of it on your mouth is just beautiful and when you hold it you feel like you're holding nothing. I really think it probably is one of the lightest glasses out there but at the same time I've seen them kind of move it to show that it actually can bend and not break. I'm not that I really want to really? risk doing that. Yeah, they because they say, oh. look, they're not as easy to break as you think. And I, I'm not sure I believe that. <laughs> I've gone through so many. <laughs> oh, no. But there are but. probably other factor well you shouldn't call them factories handmade places that are producing these wonderful glasses but Zalto has got it right and has got the marketing yeah. behind it probably so there's got to be a few others but we just you just know sure. that you're getting that quality every time aren't you with Zalto oh yeah, yeah I love them I just yeah another thing <laughs> anyway. you love you talk about pairing because a lot of your education is pairing food and wine together one of your courses is actually on cheeses I think you pair 25 mm. cheeses with wine which is just amazing yes. so for anyone who says oh well, I'm just going to get a bottle of red and cheese like no 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 it's it could be far far more interesting than that and um, have you got a favorite specific cheese and wine pairing that you want to yeah I have tell a people? few you're allowed a few yeah I do so um I love experimenting with different types of rinds, um, the exterior of the cheese. So you get rinds that are edible. Um, and one of my favorite is a Merlot washed rind. Oh. And of course, it's going to go beautifully with a Merlot, but of other other reds too. It doesn't have to be Merlot. It could be a Malbec or a Cabernet or something like that. Uh -huh. um, another classic that's easy to find is like a oozing creamy brie that's warm and just lava flowing over like a crusty baguette mm -hmm. and then you can do two things you can either cut through the fat so you can contrast mm -hmm. with a Gruner Veltlin or a zesty white or a Sauvignon Blanc there's yep. lots of acidity or you can ooze into it and go like with like like a buttery uh, Chardonnay with that creamy brie and then Yum. the the last one, okay. I always love to explore weird cheeses like Mimolette. I don't know if you've had that one. No, uh, Mimolette, no. Well, it's it's it tastes somewhat like cheddar. It's nuttier, but the backstory is going to sound gross, but it's actually good. <laughs> little, little mites eat away at the cheese, okay. and they produce the flavors in the cheese, and um, and and. <laughs> So it's got all of this sort of, you know, those little, um, when you bite into mature cheddar, it's got those little, not rocks, but little, um, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, crun it's yeah, crunchy almost. Crunchy it's bits. Really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the protein or the amino acids mm -hmm. or whatever. And those are little tiny explosions of flavor. You're not eating the mites, but <laughs> it's got, got these gorgeous flavors as it ages and I just love like a Syrah that's also aged and, and got the smoky flavor. So you wrap that smoke into these sort of nutty flavors of the cheese and it's it's gorgeous. And so people love exploring these different flavors, but also 
with any food, including cheese, one really great thing to do, and it's simple, is take a taste of the wine first. Always taste your wine first, then take a bite of the cheese, then go back to the wine, and you'll be amazed at how, how your changes. perception of that wine changes. Perfect tip. I love that. Yeah. Now, to yeah. finish off on the pairing and book theme of this episode, as you, of course, are into writing, I've got three books for you, which actually I picked because they're also films, so people will actually understand what it is. So the three books, Great. and I want you to tell me the perfect wine that they should be drinking, in your opinion, to go with the book. So if somebody okay. is reading Game of Thrones by George R.R. Mm. R. Martin, if you'll ever finish the last book. But anyway, if <laughs> you're reading that book, what would you drink with Game of Thrones? Well, they do have their own line of wines, but I would go for something uh, more full-bodied mm -hmm. than what they produce, the name brand wines. Um, something like an Italian Amarone. Oh, uh, it's full-bodied. Really it's got intense. Depth, okay. yeah. It's yes. intense like the show. It's layered. It's got lots of flavor. It also has a bitter finish. Now, it's a pleasant bitter finish, but for fans That's of the uh, books, yeah, for the fans of the books who did not like the ending, <laughs> and Amarone is best because it kind of ends bitterly like we want a, a little bit of a remake there but anyway so love yes that. that's what I would go with this is what I just love that this is why I wanted to ask you this okay right slight change Alice's Adventure okay. in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll oh I love that book mm -hmm. oh I love that book and you know my favorite part is when Alice sees that bottle and it says drink me it's mm. like that's my life too <laughs> except I'm in Wineland I'm not in Wonderland anyway uh -huh. um so I would go with something much more light and playful and delightful um, I would go with a Riesling, okay. uh, an off-dry Riesling, because it would pair beautifully with all of the crustless sandwiches and dainties at the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. Oh, do you know what? Alice in Wonderland everything. I should do like an Alice in Wonderland theme podcast, like an episode and just see how I can, yeah. Like, just yes, so we could do all the food pairings too, like, you know. Take a look at what was served at that tea party. It's and delightful. I'll just act as the Mad Hatter. I think that is a role that would suit me well. <laughs> exactly, and exactly. Now, for the lovers, The Notebook by Nicholas Sparks. Mm. All right. Well, I was going to suggest something goopy, but <laughs> um, I'm not a romantic. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I've been through a divorce, so I'm hardened. Um, oh. But I would go with... No, I'm kidding. Another I found episode, love again. It's all right. It's, it's all happy ever after. Um, but of course, we have to go with Pinot Noir, the heartbreak grape, uh, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Classic. But Pinot Noir, of course, is called the heartbreak grape because it's so difficult to make. Um, it's, you know, it, it's sensitive to everything, rain, um, mildew, pests, voices above a whisper in the vineyard, it seems. It's just really sensitive and cranky. But when it works, it's beautiful. It's a sublime wine. It's my go-to wine to drink personally. And, um, and it has yeah, so I would definitely go with that. It's, it yes. has beauty. Yeah, it's, and it can be all different shades in a way, depending yeah. on if you get it right or wrong. So I... Exactly. So 50 shades of gray or whatever. Oh, no, no, no. That. Did not, not bring not that so book much. in. Didn't bring that book in. You, know, you can't bring that up. Um, oh my God. Amazing. Right. To finish off on this, I just want you to tell everybody what your website is so they can go to that and they'll also find your podcast on there, online wine courses, your blogs, your articles, they get where they can get the books from so what is the website thank you so much um uh so it's nataliemcclain.com it's my name 
N-A-T-A-L-I-E-M-A-C-L-E-A-N, NatalieMcLean.com. And yeah, you can get connected there to the Unreserved Wine Talk podcast, my online food and wine pairing courses, the books, and everything many, else. Many, many more. Uh, so. Everything you've ever yeah. wanted. <laughs> and more. Now, next week is part two with a very amusing and interesting Natalie. And we're going to be taking things closer to home. Well, Natalie's home. We are off to Canada with a big focus on the Ontario wine region and ice wine. Now, to finish this episode and in dedication to our love of wine and books, I have the ideal quote to finish off with. And it's by Moliere, who was a French playwright and he said great is the fortune of he who possesses a good bottle a good book and a good friend thank you to everyone who has tuned into this episode if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet make sure you do so you don't miss any new episodes please like the podcast share it with your wine loving friends and leave me a comment especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. May I wish you all a week filled with all the good things in life. We know what that is. And perhaps a few miracles thrown in as well. You know what's coming next week. And so until then, cheers to you. <laughs>